Welcome back to my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, and you are listening to The Break, which I hope you can listen to when you are on a break. Maybe you're just heading towards work or you're heading back from work, back to home, and I hope to spend an hour or so uh, just talking about all the stuff that I like to talk about. This show that I've been doing since I started podcasting, and back then it was called The Daily Breakfast, so there's still the word break in there. I've been doing this since 2005. It's insane. I have done thousands of episodes, and I still, I, it's still my preferred moment of the of the week where I can just relax and I can just just chat about about stuff that doesn't has have to be um, like super targeted or niche. Now this is this is my world that you step into, and well, from what I always hear from my followers is that's kind of what they like. It's it's very uh, very much me, and uh, and 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 turns out that I have a, a ton of things in common with you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to this. So I want to. Uh, welcome a couple of new patrons today, and I was really surprised and, and excited that we got a whole bunch of new patrons. Um, so welcome to the family, welcome to, well, that sounds a little bit uh, icky, no? <laughs> welcome to the club, welcome to the community. Um, so we've got Martinez Jerkus, Gerald Lichandri, beautiful Italian name, Andrew, and then my favorite screen name, Puke the Pirate. Hey, Puke. <laughs> Welcome to, to the club. And uh, just the other day, Laz, who also signed up uh, in the second tier. So thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to also uh, counting on you for your feedback and your, your uh, contribution in terms of ideas, because that's what I love most about my patrons. They help me to come up with ways to do this better and to better serve you. I also want to uh, say a special thank you to Frank, who has upped his tier. So uh, he went to, to another uh, patron tier, a little bit higher, and I, I really appreciate it. Um, but it's, it's encouraging to see that we have new patrons. I hope that we can continue the trend. Uh, we may have to still do a bit of a fun drive uh, towards the end of the year, uh, because at, when I look at our finances right now, um, since all my television work stopped at the beginning of this year, I don't have that financial margin anymore. And so currently we're, we're still not uh, in the black. It doesn't mean that we have uh, debts, but we will have to pay from our reserves to kind of fill the gap. I'd rather um, end the year positively and to make sure that what I do actually also um, is, is self-sufficient. Um, and so hopefully... Uh, well, those of you that are able to support me uh, through Patreon, I hope that you do so. And I hope that you help me also maybe to find other patrons. Maybe there are friends that you know or colleagues or uh, family members that would be interested in or, or and would be, of course, able to support the, the, this particular ministry. Um, I, I think that we, we need to figure out together how we can make this uh, a sustainable enterprise. Um, and, and uh, well, I'm, I'm confident that that will happen. So thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate it. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. All right. Um, I've been going over all the energy and gas 
stuff that's happening. I, I, I've explained this before, right? So um, the, the prices in the Netherlands are sky high for gas, for electricity. We have the, the highest amount of inflation of the entire of, of Europe, which is insane. We, we always were doing very well economically this year. It's it's everything is changing, and so we're all kind of bracing for our energy bills, and so I figured you know what let's do a preemptive strike. Let me go over everything, measure everything, and see where do I have leaks. Is there anything I can do before the winter starts, uh, so that I can save in advance on 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 energy? And so I've been measuring, and I was trying to figure out where. Are the energy leaks? I, I think I talked about this on on this uh, this week's episode of the walk as well. And I figured out that actually my two boilers. I have a little small boiler in the kitchen that was heating up water for whenever I do the dishes by hand, which is almost no not happening because I I have a dishwasher. Thank God for that. Um, so I took that one off, and then I I discovered that on the attic, so above the room where I'm currently sitting, uh, there is this ancient boiler i think it must be like 30 40 years old and it's it's like 80 liters which is no regular size boiler for a family but i live here by myself so that thing is heating up 80 liters of water day and night and i i take very brief showers so i i turned that off because i i I was confident that that would save me something well it turns out it saved me uh more than 50 percent of of the energy that i was using uh, per day. That's insane. And so, well, slowly the water in that boiler has been cooling off. I was actually surprised how long the water stayed warm and 80 liters, that's a lot. So I think from, I, I turned it off on Monday and I immediately saw the benefits. So I was like, okay, let's see, let's see where this goes. And then Wednesday, the water was still warm and Thursday it started to become tepid. So I figured, okay, it's probably almost empty now, and it's mixing the remaining warm water with new cold water that is no longer heated. And so this morning, I'm recording this on a Saturday, this morning after I went to my running training, I got my first official ice-cold shower. And I knew that that was going to happen because yesterday it was already like barely, barely warm. It was less than tepid. And so this morning I kind of like, I took a deep breath and I knew it was going to be cold, but I didn't realize how cold it was. It's like you stand there, you turn on, you you turn the faucet and then you are just sprayed with like, it felt like sub-zero temperature water. And it was like this, this, I froze, literally I froze, it's like, (laughs) <laughs> and I, I tried to quickly wash my hair and and then I was like okay 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 how long and then uh, okay let's see if I can and then, and it's funny like after about 40 seconds I I was still freezing but I was like okay I think I can survive this I think I'm not going to die here this morning <laughs> And then after one minute, I was so glad that I trained myself to to take a shower within one minute, which is, you have to be really, really fast. Uh, but of course, I don't have long, flowing, curly uh, Thor-type hair, so that, that really <laughs> reduces the time that I need to wash myself. But then after one minute, I could just step out and then quickly get dry. And you know what? I felt amazing. 
I was like, it, it's no hype what people keep telling you that taking cold showers, yeah, it's very hard to start with it. But after you you step out of a cold shower, you feel incredible. I was like, I don't, I, I may get used to this. Now, of course, I'm saying this very bravely because it's still autumn, right? So we've got fall temperatures. So even the attic right now is still, you know, 13 degrees, 14 degrees, which means that the water also will stay at 14 degrees. That is still warm in a certain way. So I don't know what's going to happen if the, if, if the temperatures upstairs are going to go below zero and the water will be... Well, it's not going to be below zero, of course, otherwise it wouldn't flow anymore. But it's going to be very, very cold. But maybe by then I will be used to it. Um, now, of course, I don't count on, on taking cold showers for the rest of my life. Although maybe if I do feel great, then, then maybe that's something I will do because of its positive effects. But so far, um, I'm, I'm just doing this to save um, energy. And I've, I've been looking into, I've got some tips from, uh, from followers who told me, hey, you should look into what they're using a lot in Germany. And they're actually, it's a type of boiler. It's really not really a boiler, but it's a system. Um, and it, it runs on electricity, but my current boiler also does that. But it only heats the water that you use. So you, you place it almost like str straight up above the shower head. And the water flows through it, and it, it heats it up really fast. You, you won't get, like, super hot water, but depending on the kind of the capacity of the thing, it can heat it up, you know, to a comfortable uh, level. Now, of course, heating up water that quickly also takes a lot of energy, but um, I did some calculations, and I was like, well, it is a quarter of the energy that I would use if I would buy a full-fledged boiler um of course the, the big thing has to go because it's insane um you can get a more modern smaller one like 30 liters that would probably do and then these newer ones are also much smarter because they will only heat up uh, during certain times of the day um you can even tell them hey only use the like low rate lower rate energy after midnight so it will heat up during the night but still um if if you if you compare these two systems, then the the like straight warming device that will go straight to your shower head uh, is is actually uh, still a, like a seventy five percent savings on my energy costs. So hey, and then for the gas for heating the house, I've also done some research, and I was a member of my of my um, running group who told me that she had. Um, um, a an infrared plate they bought he, she and her husband bought uh, infrared plates um, and it's so that is a it's not really a heating pad because it it, it beams the, the heat straight to you it doesn't heat up the air so it's more energy efficient apparently and what she told me that she had uh, mounted it underneath her desk so she's she's working a lot at home and then, and so the the plate will will kind of radiate down. And it will warm your legs. Now, I've always heard that if you warm your legs and your feet, the entire body is going to feel warm. And then she said, after a while, when I get cold hands, I just put my, my hands on my lap for a short while, and then they heat up, and then I continue work. And I can, I can work, even if the house is just like 15 degrees, 16 degrees, I'm not cold at all. 
as long as I sit at my computer, of course. So I was like, hmm, that is interesting. Maybe I should look into that as well. And so this is how I try to kind of figure out ways to, to plug the energy leaks and to get ready for winter. Now, I've also been doing that with my like creative work, with my, my, my work during the week. As you know, I've been following the bullet journal method for uh, two weeks now. Well, actually, I started at the beginning of October, so that's today is eight. okay. So that's that's a little more than a week, and it's it's been amazing. I mean, I'm just so stunned at how much I needed this particular method. It may not be for everyone, but for me, this is exactly what I needed. And just the the thing of just sitting there in the morning, no screens, no distractions, and I just write down this is what I want to do. Hey, I wanted to do this yesterday. I didn't get it done, so. I'm going to move that to today. And this thing, I wanted to do that yesterday, but yeah, you know what? Let's put it back. I'll do that later in the month. I'll put it back in the in the monthly log. And this is just a perfect way for me to uh, evaluate every single day what I do. And this is how I also started to realize that I've, I've got way too much energy leaking because I'm, I'm trying to do too much every day. So I was looking at the, the whole list. In the beginning, I was super... Um, like uh, positive and optimistic. I was like, oh, I'm going to be so efficient with this. And then at the end of the day, I saw that, hey, I didn't do at all what I planned to do. And it's usually because I was trying to do too much uh, or the things that I wanted to do actually take more time than I want to admit. Like, for instance, creating a new TikTok video. The other day I posted a new TikTok video. Uh, so one of my anime uh, um analysis videos um and i tell myself every day like oh that's just that should take one hour so then it becomes sustainable i can do one every day and that's perfect for tiktok well i'm so perfectionistic and 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 like the quality the bar that i set myself in terms of quality research pacing editing music uh subtitles everything tags I optimize everything about those videos. And and for a reason, because they do incredibly well. Like the, the last video, which is like a month ago, got already 600,000 views. The one before that got 2 million views. And this one, I posted it yesterday evening. And now I think it already has... Let me take a look at what, what it did. Um, this one is, is, is growing even, even faster. Um... Yeah, so this one has already gotten this is so this is not even a day, twelve hours, two hundred sixty k, two hundred sixty thousand views on this video that I posted yesterday evening. So the it, going for quality instead of quantity definitely pays off. But then in when I write down my task list for the day, I still give it one hour. And so that's where I, I realize, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's not going to work. The, even this podcast that you're currently listening to, I, will, I wanted to, to, to record it yesterday. Was it yesterday or the day before yesterday? And I just, I kind of broke down. I was sitting there, I was streaming that live. And those of you that, that, that were there, they, they will remember. Because it, 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 it kind of turned into this group therapy thing where I was like, oh, I cannot do this. I'm just, ah, my mind is exploding. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm all over the place and I cannot focus anymore. I'm so tired. And, oh, I just had to like bear my soul there for a moment. 
because I felt that that I was I I had been pushing myself way too hard, but also I I had way too many energy leaks and, and I was exhausted mentally, creatively, and so I couldn't do anything anymore, and that made me realize okay, time to plug those energy leaks as well. And one of the ways in which I do that is by being very strict, very and, and it's hard, but I have to be very very strict and tell myself hey stop doing all these different channels it's not it's not whatever doesn't work cut it off yeah but i've got 300 people and <laughs> yeah but that's only 300 people so you can't even monetize that channel so no don't do it go back to one channel do everything there optimize everything and be there every day and and believe i'm talking to myself but trust if you are there for your audience every single day, even if even though one day I may start uh, talk about Star Wars, the other day I might, might talk about anime or about anything else, it's it's not about the contents. It's about th this presence. It's about being there. Th this is the feedback that I always get on TikTok. It's like, oh my gosh, you're back, you're back. It's so cool. I, I love watching you. You could do anything uh, as long as you you show up. I, we love it. And so, being strict with all these energy leaks not trying to be everywhere and to be everything to everyone. Just pick one channel and be there for your audience. That's what gives you the return on investment. So that, that session that we did the other day, where I was, I was really having a breakdown, I got so much encouragement, so much support, so much great advice from, from you, from my community, that I was like, well... This is this is what I want to do. <laughs> this is what it's all about. It's this back and forth. This is this idea that we're we're in this together, and I don't have to have all the answers. And I I I am allowed to make mistakes, and I have a community that carries me and that helps me to, you know, do the right thing. So thank you so much if you were there, and um, and I'm I'm really glad that uh, by by plugging those energy leaks, um, hopefully over time that's going to re-energize me and 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 make it fun that's what it's supposed to be how do you not like movies they're predictable like the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and darth vader is luke's father not liking movies is like not liking puppies they're fine i just get bored and never make it to the end you know you need a movie education you need a movication i'm gonna give it to you all right, we need to talk about the Rings of Power. Oh my gosh, we're already at the end of the season. I cannot believe how quickly that went by. There's only one finale, and then we're going to have to wait until the second season. And I, I, I've, I've come to love this series so much. It has surpassed all my expectations. I already kind of knew that all the negativity that I saw, you know, half of it is... Um, is so over the top that I I don't care for it. And then you've got all the scholars, and they sometimes have very you know I think okay criticism. You can learn a lot, but I'm not in it as a for for the scholarship. I'm I'm I I just love to be in this world that Tolkien created, and I don't care if the stories are canon or not, and if he would have told things differently. Um, I feel that. This is this is a story that I want to be immersed in, and this series th this series is the best series for immersion. Second place, Andor. 
also amazing. Thankfully, that season is a bit longer, I think 12 episodes, so we still have a month of uh, October and then a, a part of November, I think, that we get new episodes. And that, that series, too, does a great job immersing you into star, in the, to a Star Wars world in a very realistic way, which also has its downsides, because that, uh, that world is a little bit more... Um, because they're going for the realistic approach, it sometimes can feel a bit slow, a bit... And it's a slow burn, and, and that's something that we're not used to. It's not that I don't like it, it's just so different from all the other Star Wars stuff that we've seen so far. And so it's it. I think it's a bit of an acquired taste. You have to kind of like switch off your expectations and just go with the flow of that series. And then I'm I'm certain that they know what they're doing. And they've already shown that, I think, in the episodes that we've seen so far. But I think that there will be a gratifying payoff um, after. And they do these three-episode um, uh, arcs, story arcs. So the first three episodes, I think, really worked as a story arc. The second one, so the, the one that aired this week, was kind of like a middle episode. And it, it, it was the first episode where I felt that um, it, it's a bit too slow for my taste. There's not enough in there. There's no action scenes. There's, it's all set up. So I'm, I'm counting on next week that that episode will give you the payoff for your patience. I'm sure that they'll do a great job. Um, but, but if I go back to, to uh, uh, Rings of Power, what I did not expect is how quickly I became attached to all these characters um, on an emotional level, which is always what I love when, when series are able to do that. This is why I love the Big Bang Theory. It's not just because of the jokes, because some of them are already a little bit outdated, but it's just the in, the chemistry of those characters, and you you kind of feel like you know them. The same for The Office, the American Office. Like like all the after having seen all these seasons, I feel like they have been part of my life. These fictional characters, but I care for them, and and so when that finale came, I had I was tearing up because I was so attached to to the fate of all these individual characters. And that all has already happened now with, with Rings of Power, which is amazing, considering that this is just the first season, and it's a very short season. It's just eight episodes. Um, but this past week, we got to... We really got an emotional payoff of what they had been setting up. The week before that was also amazing. It was lots of action all of a sudden. It was like, whoa, wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> it was going to the 10th degree in terms of action and, and battles and whatnot. It was very dramatic, like a big, big, dramatic, heartbreaking event at the end of that episode. And then this week, it's all the emotional, emotional um, payoffs. Uh, and there were moments where I was like, oh, oh my God, oh my gosh, oh no, no, I'm so, I feel so sad and, and happy and all these, all these feelings. And, and wow, I did not expect that series to pull my heartstrings so much as it did. And I can't wait to see what they will do to, to bring closure to this first season. And I'm so happy that we get more seasons because I love these characters and I want to spend more time with them. And even when this series is over, I know that I'm going to rewatch these episodes time and again. For me, they're definitely on par with, uh, with the movies uh, in terms of how 
how often I want to go back to these stories. And there's so much in there, so many details, so much to explore. Visually, it's very rich, but also, I love these characters. I don't know what you think. Um, let me know, as always, in, in the comments. There's one other series that I wanted, wanted to briefly mention, and that is She-Hulk. Um, the only Marvel series right now, I don't know. I feel like like Marvel is a little bit on the back burner right now with Disney. Maybe they're, they have too many things that they're working on. Um, and She-Hulk is the most um, lighthearted series that they've done so far. I like to watch it because it's funny, um, but it's really inconsequential. If you compare this with Moon Knight and how heavy-handed that was and how deep that was, She-Hulk is, is definitely popcorn stuff. But it's fun. It's very well executed. And it's not pretentious at all. So the, the main character, She-Hulk, constantly breaks the fourth wall, talks to us. And that kind of also compensates for kind of the lack of gravitas. This is a series where even the main character does, doesn't take herself seriously. So it's, a, it's signaling that I shouldn't take it too seriously either. And I, I, I noticed that this is a series that I like to watch when I'm tired and I just just want to relax and, and watch something funny that is still Marvel. So it's, it's still part of the MCU, and I, I love that. And there are these, uh, like, special guests almost every episode. So there's always something that connects it with the broader MCU. Um, but it always does it with the nudge-nudge, wink-wink type of attitude that I really, really like and, and sets this particular series apart from what they've done so far now i don't want marvel to just be this um i i think it's time to also now give us another series that is a little bit more kind of hardcore marvel stuff um but as a change of pace oh yeah yeah definitely do more of these kind of series maybe not she hulk maybe they can do something else um but I like the variety that they that they brought to the Marvel Universe. And I think that Star Wars is kind of already going that route as well. They're bringing in new people that have no experience with Star Wars. Um, and they are approaching the universe from, from a new perspective. And that makes it fresh. And I hope that they will do more of these experiments. Um, not just based on the movies that did well, but maybe just just try something out. Maybe just do a, like a humor-based Star Wars live-action series. It's hard to do something that is really funny, but but why not? And it doesn't always have to be Ewoks or robots or droids, you know? You, you can do something in-universe that is just funny, I think. I think that should be possible, but it, it would require them to bring in different types of writers to just take... Take risks. There are there's going to be a certain part of the fandom that will not like anything you do. So why bother? Just try something out. See what sticks. Um, as a Star Wars fan, I think that that what 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 I envy uh, uh, from when when I look at the Marvel, uh, what they did with Marvel is that variety and and how much. It still stays consistent, and I hope that they can do something like that with, with Star Wars. Um, so, yeah, here's hoping. <laughs> Catholics rock! It is 
it's time for a short visit to the Peculiar Bunch. And the Peculiar Bunch, that's actually another way to say Catholics, because they're really peculiar. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? I want to talk about a, a topic that came up during conversation that I had over a wonderful Italian lasagna the other day. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. So every Sunday, in addition to the, the mass that I stream live uh, on, on, on YouTube, I also have a parish mass. So I assist in the parishes here in the, in the neighborhood. And so every week I'm in a different place and I celebrate mass and I, I preach and I talk with people. And so during one of those Sundays, apparently during one of my homilies, I talked about Italian food and about lasagna and how that was kind of the litmus test of a good restaurant. Order the lasagna, and then you will know if this is a place where you want to come back to. It turns out that one of the parishioners is actually from Italian descent, and she came, came up to me, and she said, the other day you were talking about lasagna. Well, hey, let me make you a real Italian lasagna. I, I want to invite you to visit our family and enjoy an Italian meal, which is what I did the other week. Uh, and and we were it was a wonderful lasagna. I still have the the shugo, the leftover shugo, which is the kind of the sauce with the uh, the, the meat in it, and uh, the, oh, it was delicious. So I'm using that tonight in my own spaghetti. So I <laughs> I kind of added some ingredients, and so I I already had it yesterday evening. It was wonderful, and so I'm already actually. Now that I'm talking about it, I am getting hungry. I want to get like another big plate of spaghetti because it was so good. Anyway, so we were talking, they have uh, kids, two kids, uh, teenagers. And uh, so we were, they were talking about how much they appreciated the fact that when I do homilies, I tell stories. And, and both kids said that, that actually that really almost forced them to listen um, so they admitted to their parents that normally we don't really listen to, to the homily. <laughs> we just zone out. We just kind of go elsewhere in our mind. Um, but they told me, and that was really great to hear, that it, because I tell stories, they wanted to know how the story ends. And, um, and, and they felt that it was very different from what they were used to. And so from that topic, we actually went to... Um, so what else should should we do as a church to make ourselves future-proof? Because they, too, they see that in their local parish, parish church, um, it's mostly older people. Um, and I notice that every, every week when I distribute communion, I can kind of more or less estimate the age of the parishioners. And in some locations, like the majority is, is approaching 80 years old, which statistically, I know that sound, kind of sounds harsh, but statistically... Five years from now, they won't be around. Or when they are around, they will be very, very old. Um, so there's going to be this, this big like inflection point where all of a sudden, the people that currently carry the church in terms of volunteers, choir members, uh, sacristans, uh, lectors, but also financially, that's all going to be over. And the locations where they don't have a connection with younger families and kids and and even the liturgy is unable to 
appeal to a younger generation, they're going to be doomed. <laughs> it's just going to be end end of uh, uh, what is it? End of um, end end of something. It's going to be the end of the line. And so we had this whole conversation. So wh- what else could you do to to change kind of the style of the church to future proof the church? And uh, so I I. Uh, shared a couple of things that I've learned over the years that I think are are vital if you want to build the church of the future. Now, the church of the future is the same church as the church of today and the church of yesterday. But, you know, the, the constants of the church doesn't change. The liturgy doesn't really change that much. But it's the translation that has to change because the people today speak a different language. So we talked, for instance, about church music, and they were complaining that we still seem, seem to be stuck in the, in the 70s of the past century in terms of church music. It's all very slow and boring and uh, somber music. And um, the, um, the hostess told me that she, that was the hardest thing when she came from Italy because she married a Dutch guy. And she came to church here. The first thing she noticed is like, that music is horrible. Why do you sing these songs? And I, I had to totally agree with her that I already disliked the, the, the church music when I was a kid. And we're still singing the same stuff that I loathed as a child. I hated it as a, as a teenager. I f- profoundly disliked it when I was a seminarian, and now I'm a parish priest, and we're still singing the same stuff. Why isn't this? Why can't we bring this up to date? Or, and that's the alternative, either go forward, create something new, do something that is, I think, more an expression of the kind of the music. The music is a language, right? So use the language that people can relate to, because music has a very emotional impact on you. Music and I've noticed this when, when Eric uh, was ordained a deacon and a priest, he took charge of the of the music and he f- he found two choirs, one for his deaconal uh, ordination and the other one for his uh, um, ordination as a priest. And it was all music from, for instance, from Lourdes. And Lourdes, they they've got great composers, and they they really try to use the Latin texts because they know that in Lourdes you have an international audience. So what what better place to use Latin than there? But they at the same time they create these beautiful melodies that are oh it's it's gorgeous. It's very French also in style. And so but but you can all, you can also sing that here. Why not? It's Latin, so it's a universal language. So that works really well. And then they he had a, f- a couple of a beautiful hymns from the English uh, tradition, the English choir music is so beautiful. And I was just so moved by that music. Like, if only we had this kind of music in our parishes. That would, have, that would make it so much more a pleasure to have music at all. And, and the music that we currently sing, I feel like better not have any music. So I would do that, take the, the new stuff from different cultures, or go backwards. Do Gregorian chant. That's timeless. That has proven itself to be very conducive to prayer. Um, it's 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 like these melodies don't age, and it's also the kind of the strength of the tradition. So I'm I'm, I'm like rather than just doing the mediocre stuff, just take what has proven itself over the centuries to to work. 
universally and do, but execute it very well. You have to sing it very beautifully. Um, so anyway, that that's music. But then also, what I said, the music is emblematic for a bigger problem in the church, in the Catholic Church, and that is we keep doing stuff that doesn't work. And it, it's it, it's every Sunday you see that it doesn't work because people don't come to church anymore. But we keep doing the same things, expecting different results, expecting that somehow, miraculously, God is going to inspire people to come to church. But that's not how the force works, Han Solo would tell Finn, right? That's not how God works. God needs us also to be his hands and feet and and he i think he is talk he is telling us what we should do we're just not listening because we're so holding on to the stuff that we're used to but th- it's a very simple thing even in business it, you cannot get new results different results if you keep doing the stuff that doesn't work and i think that should be really important in our in our ch- in the way that we run the church evaluate maybe even every week just look at did this work did this music, did this choir work? A choir should do that. Did this music, did it touch our hearts? Did it, did it educate people? Did my homily work? Was it too long? Was it too short? Does it need something else? Does, do, I, do I have to explain better? That's why every Mass, I am at the back of the church, and I'm trying to talk to people. I'm, I try to get feedback. And, and usually they do give me feedback. And it's super important. And I don't care if they say, well, it was very long. Please, next time, try to stay within 15 minutes. And it's like, yeah, you're totally right. I know what you what you mean. Or other people that, t- that tell me, yeah, it was long, but I was on the edge of my seat for the entire homily because I wanted to know if you actually made it onto the plane or not. Sometimes I try to, I, sometimes I forget to close the story loop. <laughs> so I start with an anecdote and then I forget to wrap it up. But then after mass, they complain. It's like, you didn't tell us what happened. <laughs> okay, yeah, I should close my story loops. Anyway, um, another thing is, I think, we, we tend to think as churches that the other people should come to us, right? And we are a bit put or uh, disconcerted when we are confronted with the individualistic mentality that is so dominant in our modern day culture, where everybody always wants to know what's in it for me, what's in it for me, and we 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 tell them, well, that's so contrary to the gospel because. Faith is not what's in it for me. No, it's what can I do for God? What can I do for my neighbor? The thing is, if you start, and I know priests and even bishops that have that mentality and they keep kind of telling themselves and telling the the world, it's your problem. You are not altruistic. You're too individualistic. That is why you don't come to church. What they forget is by saying that, by judging others, they're actually themselves also, I think, falling into the trap of individualism, thinking, but you should be there for me, and God is on our side, so you're on the wrong side. It's kind of this, menta- this it's a, it's a um, I think, a disguised egotism, where the church is ultimately, we, we, we judge other people that don't help us, that don't come to church, that don't worship on Sundays, as well, they're against us. They're, they're blocking our progress. But that's not 
that's not loving people as they are. That's not what, what you see Jesus do. Jesus didn't go see people and say, hey, I want you to be in the synagogue this Saturday, right? now. That's how you show me that you're serious. No. Jesus is like, how, what can I do for you? What do you want me to do? Oh, I'd like to see. Sure, I'll heal you. Oh, I'd like to walk. Sure, take up your bed, pick up your bed and, and walk. Oh, we're hungry. Let me, let me feed you. Jesus never um, tells people that they're only good enough if they come to the synagogue, if they, if they pray enough. Because Jesus knows that it is his job to love people even when they are not deserving to be loved, to forgive them, to walk with them, and then they will walk with him because there will be love, there will be friendship. That's the way Jesus works. His, he le- even his apostles, he tells them, so you guys are going to leave now as well? He gives them the option to leave. He doesn't force them. And then the apostles say, well, hey, but w- to who should, would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We want to stay with you. So it's this like they want to stay with Jesus because he cares for them and he gives them what they need. And and that's, I think, what should be our attitude as a church. Don't just look at the people that don't come to church as, well, they're actually, they're sabotaging us. Um, it's they're, we are blaming them. But what we forget to do is to love them. And if they don't come to us, do what Jesus did. Go to them. Ask them, what can I do for you? And if you do that, that is actually the opposite of individualism. So I think that we're, as a Catholic Church, we're often suffering from from disguised um, ecclesial individualism. It's all about us. It's about our, our building. It's about our future. No, it's not. It's about the people. You're, the building is just a tool. It's just a place where you can come together and 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 motivate each other but in order to go outside that's why we call it mass misa it's a mission what you do there we seem to forget that all the time also another thing how to future proof your church stop thinking about numbers stop counting your money stop counting the 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 people that come to church but focus on relationships invest in relationships not in numbers even if you have a few people that come to church, but if you really invest in the friendship, in the bond, in the relationship, that will ultimately bear fruit. It always does. Friendship cannot, cannot exist without bearing fruit. And the numbers will always follow friendship. But if you, if you only look at numbers, like we, we were talking uh, with a very specific situation where uh, a lot, in a lot of parishes, they try to get the youth on board. And so they will do these masses where it's like they created a special booklet and there is a, you know, great music. And then they put in a ton of effort, like First Communion masses. They're, they're very, um, they're, they're oftentimes... They will, they will work an entire year to make sure that they have this big, super liturgy for the First Communion Mass. And then the next week, when these kids, if they usually don't come back the next week, but if they would come back the next week, they would like, where did, all, where did the party go? <laughs> what kind of, this is a different church. And so, again, it's like thinking in numbers, like we have to do this, this one uh, big event type of celebration 
but we forget that it's in the church. It's not about events. It's about relationships, and people will come back. Even if you have a super su- uh, simple liturgy, um, but if the quality of the, of the encounters that people have there, encounter with the community and the encounter with God, then they will come back because that's ultimately what we're all craving, right? And then also, final thing, if you want to prepare for the future, prepare to be poor because this is not going to improve anytime soon. Of course, you always have to uh, be open to what the Holy Spirit will do. But if you, if you just look at the future of the, of the Catholic Church, and maybe in, in general, the Christian Church, in, in our Western world, it's not going to get better. It's going to get a lot worse. You're going to run out of money. You're going to run out of buildings. You're going to run out of priests and, and, and pastors and whatnot. But that doesn't matter. That's part of the world that you cannot influence, you cannot... Re- so you can only try to do what you can and leave it to God, but prepare to be poor. Jesus was poor. He, he hang out with poor people. He didn't set up a big, like, go fund me <laughs> on, my, on my tour, on my Jeru- big Jerusalem uh, success tour. No. Jesus was, uh, was able to be authentically himself, to be loving and helping in the poorest conditions. And, and I think as a church, we, we, should, we should not be afraid to, be, to become poor, to lose what we have. Because the more we lose, the more we need to depend on God. And the more we depend on God, the more he's going to be there for us. That's the logic of the gospel. And it goes against everything that the world tells us. But I think it's the only way to the future. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I just finished reading this amazing book that made me laugh out loud so often. And it, I, it, I love this book. It's called Furiously Happy, a funny book about horrible things. It's written by Jenny Lawson, who kind of made quite a splash, I think, on a TED stage. She did a TED talk about her mental issues because she's suffering from depression, uh, from all sorts of phobias, and uh, her life is a constant roller, roller coaster between like d- moments of deep despair and then highs of, of creativity and joy and, and, and humor. This book... Um, is, is full of stories where she tells the most horrible things that happen to her and the things that she struggles with, how much her mental health or problems with mental health have an impact, a daily impact on her life and on her responsibilities as a mother and as a, uh, now as a writer and a speaker. But she is constantly writing it down in such a self-deprecating, humorful way that it's irresistible and it makes you feel so um it's it's so comforting to read someone uh who who is able to 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 be joyful about her flaws or, or per, what the world perceives as flaws or what you yourself will accuse you of when you're in a in a depression but then when she writes um 
she, she can also relativize it and normalize it in a certain way. And what I loved about the book is, is how bubbly it is. This is someone who is also has some ADD tendencies, and and you notice that in her writing style, it's a she constantly has these weird, like spur of the moment ideas, or she comes she makes up her own words. Um, so the 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 funny what makes me laugh all the time is like these the quirkiness of the book and how often it will go completely off the rails, and then will come back, and then it goes off the rails again, and it's it's. It's done deliberately. I mean, that's how her mind functions. And um, if I'm totally honest, that's also oftentimes how my mind works. It's like these these quick associations, these, these weird brain connections. But normally you keep that to yourself. And she writes them down or she, she tells, she speaks them out loud. And then it becomes hilarious. And so um, what I really liked, and there's some genuine, really good advice for people that are struggling with mental health or are that are caring for people that are struggling with mental health. Uh, and so the book is not just just fun, uh, not just humor. There's also some, I think, some really, you know, heartfelt advice uh, to people that, that have to deal with mental health issues. And I think it's th- th- books like these are so important to remind us having mental health issues is not something to hide uh, from the from the from the rest of the world it's nothing to be ashamed of it's it's so funny that we have these taboos on certain things that are that that we're not good at that were that are that are making our life troublesome or that the, the cross that we have to be, to carry we often hide it and we only present the sunny side of our existence because we feel we are afraid that people will judge us if we if we make ourselves vulnerable, and maybe that is actually happening. We we also live in a ruthless world where there are tons of predators out there just waiting for you to make one mistake to hit you over the head with it. But those people will always be there. But if they keep you from being authentically yourself and daring to show you as you are flaws included, mental, Ill, mental health issues included, then these people win. And you don't want them to win. These people are there in our world. You see them daily on Twitter and on their social media. But I think it's important to have brave people that are just laughing about that. If you laugh about criticism, you will infuriate people even more because they can't hurt you. They can only hurt you if you allow them to hurt, to hurt you. Um, and humor is such a great medicine for anything that puts you down, be it your own thoughts or other people. And so th- this book is, I think, it's so necessary, and we should talk about this way more often than we actually do, because um, otherwise, people that suffer from mental health issues, um, people that are in therapy, they will always kind of feel that they have this stigma and they will keep telling themselves that the, the outside world shouldn't know. Or worse, they won't seek help because they are too ashamed to seek help. But there is nothing to be ashamed of. If you break a leg, you go you go see your doctor, you go to the hospital. If you have kidney stones, you have no choice. So why all of a sudden, if it's something in our, our brain is also just an organ it's just part of our physical there's a physical aspect of our of mental health issues 
So why do we go to see a doctor when we have COVID or when we have uh, arthritis or something and we don't go to a psychologist or a psychotherapist when our brain is suffering and is, is needs some help, you know? Um, it's, it's one of the things that also uh, Carrie Fisher has talked about quite a bit in her books. It's kind of like speak about the, the, her depression. and she, she didn't want to be the glamorous Hollywood star. She was a major star, adored by millions of Star Wars fans, but she was also a very, very broken human being, and she's been brutally honest about her own brokenness. And, and I think that we need more of those courageous I would say prophets, I think. Um, and, and, and I hope that they announce that the, the future where, where it will be normal. And it already, thankfully, has become much more normal today uh, to, to go see a therapist, to go seek help if you have uh, mental problems, psychological issues that you struggle with. But we're, we're not there yet. This, this, this needs to become much more normalized. Plus, I think it's also a blind spot in our in, in our, among politicians, you know, in, in the way that we organize our society. Uh, there is a huge backlog for mental health uh, uh, issues. Uh, like, there, there's, there's so many people, even people live, in, they live in the street, but they should be in a care, they should be taken care of. They have mental problems. That brought, that brought them to lose their house and... So instead of just pointing at them, they are a problem for us. No, we have a problem as a society. We should build up this, this mental health care and we should finance it and we should make it attractive for people to work in that field because we need way more physicians in that field than we currently have. Um, anyway, so that's just what I wanted to say. Uh, the book, again, is called Furiously Happy, a funny book about horrible things, written by Jenny Lawson. And, and it's not the only book that she's written, so I'm looking forward to reading more of her. Let's uh, take a look into the kitchen. And I, I made comfort food this past week. Um, and it, it was something that brought me back to my early years in the seminary. Uh, you may know that I uh, did part of my study in Belgium, in the French part of Belgium, in Louvain-la-Neuve. Louvain Can I butcher that in English? Yeah. Louvain-la-Neuve. <laughs> Louvain-la-Neuve. Uh, which is kind of the French counterpart of the, of the old uh, university of, of Louvain, or Leuven, which is Dutch-speaking. Um, and so I studied, I lived there for five years. I studied uh, four years of philosophy. I did a master's in philosophy and did one year of theology in Brussels. Uh, but I still lived in, in Louvain. And so oftentimes during courses or during the, the, the break, the lunch break, uh, we wouldn't return to the seminary because the seminary was up on a hill. It's quite a walk. Um, so we just grabbed lunch, uh, downtown and it was one thing that I love to eat, and it was a baguette. So that's a French bread, you know, the, like the the long form. It was a half baguette. Um, and my favorite, um, how would you say that, filling, topping on the, on the bread 
was crab salad. I had never heard of crab salad until I, I, I started my studies, and I, so I ordered that. And I was in love. And you know what? It didn't contain any crab. Of course, that was made with surimi, which is kind of fake crab. It's, uh, I think it's like a, a very cheap white fish, and it's been infused with a few flavor enhancements. But it's, it's, um, it, works, it works well enough. Um, and it, it, the crab salad itself just was, oh, I can still taste it. I can, it gave me a certain feeling, like that was just heaven. It was so, so good. Like this French bread, very fresh French bread, a bit, a bit warm still. And then there's this thick layer of, of crab salad. Now, I hardly ever buy crab salad nowadays because it's pretty expensive. Um, I think you pay now for about, what is it, 250 grams of crab salad. I pay 169. I'm very good at the, with the prices because I do my own groceries and I compare the prices of all the supermarkets. So you just name a product and I can probably tell you how much it costs right now and how much it costs last week. So crab salad is 169 for 250 grams, which is insanely expensive considering that it's just made with fake crab, Surimi. So... The other day, I just sometimes I have that where I'm I'm just all of a sudden I crave certain food that I haven't had in a long time, and I don't know why, but I just wanted to eat a sandwich with crab salad, but I didn't want to pay for it. So what did I do? I googled the recipe and I found the recipe, and I was shocked to see how simple it was to make. So first ingredient you need is a ninety nine cents package of surimi. I only use half of the of the package. So that's 50 cents, right? It's nothing. You cut that up. I'm so glad with my IKEA knife. It's super sharp. So it's I can really cut it up very, very, very in fine, very fine pieces. Then you boil an egg, hard boiled, and you cut that egg up in very, very tiny pieces. Then you take either mayo I, I, didn't, I didn't use mayonnaise. With mayonnaise, of course, that's the best taste. Um, but I instead, I used... Um, I don't think it exists elsewhere. It's a typical Dutch invention. It's called French fries sauce. Yeah. And, and we even leave off the, the French because fries are just fries. So it's fries, sauce for fries. And it's... Um, it, it looks a bit like mayonnaise, but it doesn't have all the oil. So it's more water-based. And it's, so in terms of calories, it's about 20% of what of the calories that you would have if you would use mayonnaise. Now, mayonnaise has a better taste, obviously. But I just used this, this fries sauce. Um, also thinking about, you know, my, my, my calories. Um, so you add a couple of spoons you mix in the crab, you mix in the egg, um, you add pepper, salt. Um, I also add added garlic, garlic powder, and onion powder. That's a, that's a hack. So not, not you can also, of course, chop up onions, but that has a much more dominant taste, and it can overpower the, the taste of the surimi. So I just use onion powder, and onion powder is actually quite normal in 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 asian cuisine i my mother always used onion powder uh instead of chopping up onions now i i kind of never use it 
But for this, I was like, okay, yeah, I can see how that would probably add a little bit of flavor without being too predominant. And you just keep mixing that, and that's it. That's your crab salad. Put it in the fridge. And then if you if you put it on a sandwich or even better, a French baguette, make sure it's a very thick layer. Oh, it was so good. And you know what? It tasted exactly as my early years in seminary. It's so funny how the smell, the taste, the, even the texture kind of brings you back. In my case, how old am I? Dude, brings me back 30 years. <gasps> oh my gosh, I'm old. 30 years, but it's, it's like back in time. Just the taste of this crab salad. That's why I wanted to share that with you. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you've plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. So we've had two new presentations, product pre presentations by two big companies, um, Amazon and also Google. Now, Google presented their new phones, the Pixel 7, um, and they're very good with computational photography. That's kind of the only thing that I'm really interested in. Um, but, they're, but it's still, it's Google, you know. Mm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not sure. It's, uh, they don't have a very good reputation when it comes to up updating, keeping, re giving regular updates, or, or even like perfecting their software. So eh, it's, it's impressive what they are doing, but I still think that Apple is m a much better investment when it comes to phones. Uh, but they're decent phones. They, they also introduced their first watch, which kind of was surprising because it has a massive bezel. I mean, it's like, how can you, how do you dare to give the world your first? It's going to be a, it's supposed to be a flagship product. And the bezel is like half an inch. It's insane. Nobody has bezels like that anymore. That was something from like 10 years ago. And this seems to be a, a current thing with, or, or a recurring thing with Google. They always use such outdated hardware. And, and they think they can compensate that with software. I don't know. But just from the looks of it, it's like, nah, I'm going to skip that one. Um, I'm, I'm way too happy with my, what is it, 49 euro um, Apple Watch imitation. This, this watch looks so good. And I love it. You know what I love the most about this watch? I can, I can wear it for five to six days without having to charge it. It's insane. It, it's got a beautiful screen. It has built-in GPS, so I use it all the time for running. Um, it's it's very very good. Um, it's it's pretty limited, of course, in terms of other things. It uh, I, I, it does show me notifications from my phone. Um, it has a, a sleep monitoring, way better than the previous sports band that I had. So and and that has been also very it's super light, so I don't notice that I that I have it on during the night. And what I love about it is, so for instance, the Apple Watch, that's a great piece of hardware, but you have to charge it every single day. So how are you going to use it for sleep tracking? Because it needs to charge during the night, right? So this one, 
I, I wear it day and night. I only take it off when I, when I take a shower. And, and so, uh, and then every, usually on Saturday, I just connect it to the charger for about an hour and then it's fully charged and it lasts me another week. And it's beautiful. It's just not, it's not just LCD. It's, it's got beautiful, gorgeous colors, gorgeous, 49 bucks. It's insane. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, yeah, the, the, the Pixel watch did not really entice me. Uh, actually, I thought the whole thing looked a little bit cheap. The, the whole, the, the presentation was a bit clunky. It, it, it looked amateurish. For, for Google, I was, I was shocked. Like, why? Uh, it's a weird company, Google. Anyway, and then we had Amazon. Amazon, uh, as usual, presented a whole slew of stuff. Of, of new devices, among which an, an interesting Kindle device, the Kindle Scribe, which is their first like big screen Kindle. It's I think 10.9 inch. So it's almost the size of an iPad. Um, and you can write on it. They've been holding out on, on creating a, a, a tablet that you could write on because they wanted to um, make sure that it has the, the kind of experience that people are accustomed to with Kindles. And Kindles are, are great, nice, distraction-free devices. Um, and so they tried out lots and lots of different types. Um, but but in, in Asia, um, there are a ton of big screen um, e-readers that you can write on, and, and a lot of them are pretty good. The thing is, they usually run like a fork of, um, of Android, and so huh, there's a new one every year. So you, you quickly get stuck with an, an outdated device that is no longer uh, getting any service updates. So uh, yeah, they're doing a great job, but it's the software side that, that is kind of uh, a problem. And of course, that's one of the things I like about Kindle is you buy a Kindle and it lasts for years and years and years because the technology is actually very simple. You're just turning pages. Um, and so they, they finally brought out this, this big scribe. It looks intriguing, I have to say. I was a bit disappointed that you can't really write on, on the books. Uh, you can write on PDFs, but then you still need to upload the PDF, so that's a bit cumbersome. Um, so you may use it to sign a document or something like that, but eh, I feel like that is almost like an extra. It's not really a core feature of the device. And then for the books that you're reading, you can take notes, but it, what, what it does, it, it just opens a window and then you can write in that little window. But for me, the, the, what I would like to have is that I can actually see visible ink marks in my book. I want to I be able to scribble in, in the margin. I want to be able to just underline things or, or highlight stuff or put a circle on the paper. I don't want to put that in a separate window. For me, it just completely defies the, 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 the reason of adding uh, a, a stylus to the whole thing. So I, I see why they do it, of course. It's also a, because their format, their current format of... of Ebooks on which their business is built doesn't allow for, for, for a graphical layer. So this is just a very simple hack. But I just don't see the point that when you're taking notes, they're invisible. If you're just browsing through your book, 
you you there's going to be a, um, like a, a collection of what you have, whatever you've written. It's in a separate part, but it's not on the page itself. Even your notes are invisible. Eh. Yeah, that for me is just not. No, that's not it. What I do like is the size. Finally, we get like a bigger size Kindle. And I listened to an interview with a guy who's in charge of the of the Kindle technology, and he said you, you wouldn't believe they once did a big Kindle, and it's now like ten years old or older, and they still get requests every single day. Please bring back the big screen. So, and it makes for a much more pleasant reading experience. I know this because I'm reading a lot on my iPad, and I bought like the twelve point six inch iPad specifically for reading, and it is it's. I wish it was e-paper. It's not. So reading with a backlit screen does get fatiguing, especially in the evening. But I I like the size. And it's even perfect for comic books. So I, I, I read the comics on, on the iPad. And I love this. It's a perfect size. Maybe Even if they, if, if they would make an even bigger screen, I'd probably go for the bigger screen. Uh, because it, it's just... Especially if you read quickly... You can just scan the text so much faster. Um, the other thing that I missed on the Kindle Scribe was a clickable page-turning button. That um, John Domek, who is one of our community members, he gifted me his old uh, Kindle Oasis because he wanted to go for the new Paperwhite. Um, and he loved his Oasis. And I, w- I was like, wow, that is so cool. Because I, I like to just click to go to the next page. There's something about that. My previous Kindles, all I all had to, to kind of touch the screen. I had a very old Kindle, even before the paper white. So you had to actually, like the screen itself was not flush with the with the device. So you had to kind of press this kind of plasticky. Uh, I just hated the 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 tactile feel of that. Um, so the 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 physical page turning knobs. Uh, game changer by the way john if you regret having gifted me that um oasis you wanted back just say the word you know i i, w- I wouldn't blame you for it because it's amazing but seriously i'd immediately buy another oasis because i love that clickable page turning experience um but what what i i was disappointed in is that the scribe even though it does have uh, like on one side has this big bezel so you can hold it more easily doesn't have physical buttons and for me that is non-negotiable my whatever future kindle needs to have physical buttons for the pages otherwise i'm just not going to buy it so let's hope that this kindle oasis will last me a lifetime (laughs) i already pressed all these buttons it's time to wrap things up oh my gosh i've been talking for quite a while now as always uh, the end of the show is when I slow down a little bit. I I thank everyone who has contributed to this episode. <laughs> the technicians, the writers, the, the, the funny people who write my jokes, the guy behind the piano, and of course catering. It's all been amazing. Thanks to the people that uh, make sure that the stream gets online and do the lighting, wire the microphone. You guys are, I couldn't do it without you. But, no, I'm just joking. Um, I always end with a, an inspirational thought. And, and they're mostly, they're not coming from, from pious writings or saints or Bible authors. 
it's just stuff that I that's kind of strikes me and it's like yeah that's useful so here's my quote for this week you cannot change the circumstances you cannot change the seasons nor the wind but you can change yourself take 100% responsibility for your life so hard but so true that's it for this week thanks for the privilege of your time we'll talk soon and uh Look me up on YouTube or on TikTok if you're one of those youngsters. Take care. God bless.